Section four of Among Typhoons and Pirate Craft by Lindsay Anderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section four, chapters ten through twelve. Chapter ten We Witness a Grand and Noble Deed of Heroism we can make out but four people at the most on the quarter-deck of this disabled vessel and they seem to be parleying about what they are to do all at once in a moment through the blinding spray we see one of the parties on the ill-fated ship take a leap into the foamy abyss and strike out in our direction the eamont drifts but slowly having a very deep keel and a much deeper after keel therefore the swimmer makes headway towards us surely but slowly we are ready with our life-buoys and lines while i see nealance and two or three of our hands securing lines around their waists should it be necessary to go over into the water to assist this courageous swimmer when he gets within reach of human help i am stationed at the wheel therefore i can only look on however much i may wish to be with nealance in the work of rescue will he be able to reach us is the breathless question in many a heart he must be a powerful swimmer says our captain to get along through that raging water he's got something on his back i hear the captain say as he walks along to where nealance and mr jewel are standing nearer and nearer comes this daring swimmer till he is within reach of one of our floating life-buoys which he clutches with a firm grasp while at the same time he casts an appealing look towards the eager hands who are gently drawing in the line that brings him safely towards the eamont before he touches the side nealance and one of our men are over the side with lines in their hands and round their waists in a moment the brave fellow has a rope passed round him and is carefully hoisted to the deck by many willing hands the carefully wrapped bundle upon his back is taken off as he himself lies in a somewhat faint condition on the deck the bundle being opened what is our astonishment when we gaze upon the form and lineaments of a young and lively girl of some two or three years of age both are quickly carried below to the cabin where means of resuscitation are quickly applied by our captain which soon have the eagerly desired for result as soon as the intense excitement of the last few moments is over i return to my post at the wheel and am awfully astonished when as i cast my gaze to windward to see how it fared with the disabled ship to find that no trace of her is to be seen i immediately proceed below and acquaint the captain with the fact that the vessel has gone from our sight leaving his patience in the hands of mr jewel and nealance he follows me on to the deck when after an intense and earnest look in the direction the disabled vessel had been he turns to me and says it is all up with her haul in all those life-buoys and lines and keep her off again south one-half west as soon as the rescued man comes to his senses we will get to know all about it the captain then proceeded below leaving me to carry out his instructions the forestay sail was hoisted up and obedient to the pressure thus brought to bear on her forward the eamont fell off on her course and was soon racing away like a wild stag before the pursuing hounds 
half an hour had scarcely gone by since we first sighted the disabled vessel yet in that short space of time we had been witnesses of one of the most heroic deeds on record a deed remembered by many who lived or sailed in these far-off eastern lands and often spoken of by those who upheld the grand nobility of man irrespective of creed race or colour to watch that noble hero plunge from the derelict into the seething foaming and bottomless abyss was a sight to be remembered for ever some talented artist should have been there to place upon his canvas such a deed of heroic daring as we had just been witnesses of that it might have been handed down to future generations to immortalize the now possibly forgotten hero who swam through that seething mass of water to save his master's child in the midst of such a tempest as we watched him make his way towards us now on the top of the crested wave then down in the hollow and hidden for the moment from our gaze it was a picture itself to watch the eager faces of our hardened crew as in breathless silence they watched the swimmer and no doubt for this once in their lives they offered up an inward prayer to the all-seeing one above to help this brave man in his peril when the rescued man had been safely landed on the deck the intense strain of the past few moments fell off from our crew who now relieved themselves by shaking one another by the hands as if they had been personally engaged in that fight with the furious watery elements and remarking to each other by george he is a splendid fellow good luck to him forever says another one while here and there some others who had felt so sympathetically intense in their wistfulness for the swimmer's safety had perforce to turn their heads while they gulped down the risen lump in their throats so affected were they in this sudden transition from almost the extremity of despair to the exuberance of thankful joyfulness the sun had crossed the meridian before there was any sensible lull in the howling of the tempest or a break in the heavily laden canopy above the wind had likewise backed somewhat to the westward showing us we had succeeded in scudding across the front track of the typhoon a very hazardous proceeding which can only be accomplished by the swiftest of vessels when i am relieved by mr nealance at noon he gives me all the information about our rescued waifs he has been able to glean which was as follows the man himself was steward on board the united states ship thalia of baltimore bound from singapore to nishuang with a cargo of ironwood spars which you know are mostly used for junks masts they encountered some hard weather beating up and she sprung a leak somewhere about her stern-post where they could not get at it to stop it there was nothing for it but pump 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 the crew got very disheartened and two days before we came across them the dutch second mate and all hands deserted during the night in one of the boats leaving the captain chief mate steward and captain's wife and child on board to perish with the water-logged vessel the typhoon was beginning when the cowardly lot left in the boat so that they have met their fate by this time when we came up to them the thalia was nearly full of water and had not much longer to live 
they had no boat left and in such weather a raft was of no use both the captain and his wife were very ill of fever when the trouble began and had not recovered from its effects when the typhoon came on they were quite reconciled to their fate as was also the chief officer who refused to leave them and they thanked and blessed me says the virginian for endeavouring to save their only child the man whom we had so providentially rescued was a virginian man of colour born in the united states and though then a free man had in his early days been a slave in the household of the captain's parents he was a noble specimen of manhood standing nearly six feet two inches in his stockings and measuring forty-five inches round the chest from what i saw of him afterwards he seemed to me a man of the most affectionate feelings towards his fellow-men either white or black and always willing to use his great strength in helping his weaker brethren that he had loved and respected his late captain and his wife was very evident from the watchful care and tenderness he bestowed upon their orphan child daniel jackson was the name of this courageous seaman who had so successfully battled with the wild sea waves in the rescue of his master's child and the child's name was mary seward a bright fair child who has possibly grown up to womanhood and may have the pleasure of reading in these pages a rather too meagre account of her gallant rescue a few hours in time a few miles in distance and what a change comes over the scene could the ill-fated thalia have been by any possibility detained at her loading port for a couple of days such a scene as we had witnessed had never occurred and yet it is possible that her commander in his hurry to get along was only too eager to hurry onward to his then unknown fate so it is with all humankind rush on rush on is the ever-constant cry while none of us know what the rushing on will entail upon us chapter eleven attacked by lorcas when i turned in after luncheon i left the eamont still scudding madly on through the drifts and the foam under her forestay sail flying through or rather over the water like some hunted thing endowed with life-given motion as i came on deck in the dog-watch to relieve the chief officer to his dinner what was my surprise to find the eamont once more with her topsail set and the crew busy preparing to set the double-reefed mainsail what a change in the weather a run of fifty miles had made the sky was again clear of the heavy mass of aqueous vapour in which we had been enveloped throughout the former portion of this ever-to-be-remembered day and we were again sailing along over a bright blue sea in our usual serene and exhilarating manner before midnight all our reefs were out and the wind had again veered back to its usual normal position at this time of year observations of the heavenly bodies were taken during the night to determine our position and at four o'clock in the morning watch the course is set that will lead us through the channels we intend to take in passing through the saddle islands at ten o'clock or four bells in the forenoon watch land is reported ahead and i immediately report the same to the commander who follows me up on to the deck 
as soon as the captain has made the land properly out the eamont is headed straight for the channel which is well known to our commander when we get close to the entrance of the channel all hands are piped to quarters the guns are all uncovered and the shot taken out the charges are also withdrawn then the guns are carefully sponged out and reloaded the small arms are likewise brought on deck and stacked around the mainmast as soon as we are all in perfect readiness for repelling any obstruction we may meet the men are dismissed to their quarters and we wait in patience the further progress of events the wind is blowing a fresh gale and increases as we enter the channel which is none of the widest being only two to three miles in some places and rather intricate should we have to haul our wind we keep in mid-channel so that we may have room to manoeuvre either side we may be faced by any foe suddenly popping down upon us from out of the many creeks around us as we pass the fort where we had the action on our upward trip we look for some signs of life but are unable to make out anything with the slightest evidence that man is anywhere about nor are there any junks in the small creek under the fort on the hill not till we are through the channel do we see any signs of life upon the ocean wave or the land then as we come out in the open we are able to make out some few lorchas to the right and the left of us carefully guarding the two channels we avoided coming through the captain looking at me and mr nealance who are standing by his side says mm, i think we have done them this time yes sir said nealance they'll have to be pretty smart to get alongside of us now but i'm hanged if they are not going to try it so they are by jove says the captain how they are clapping on their muslin but i doubt if they will get within reach of our big guns unless the wind falls a bit which it may possibly do now we are out of the narrow channel call mr jewel on deck says the captain to me and at the same time tell jackson to stop down below and amuse the girl should he hear any firing and on no account to come back on deck for the little thing has not got over her awful fright and loss of her parents yet i dive down below and after calling mr jewel explain to jackson the state of affairs at the same time bidding him to be under no apprehension as we are more than a match for the lorchas either fighting or sailing coming on deck after delivering my messages i find the position slightly altered for two of the lorchas on the starboard hand are making as if they would almost cross our bow but they are the only ones that seem to have the slightest chance in point of sailing with us mr nealance has manned the big gun and is training it on to the headmost lorcha when she shall get within range mr anderson says the captain get your forward gun ready and try for the top hamper of that headmost lorcha mr jewel i hear the captain say as i go forward to my gun tell nealance to put a length of chain shot into that big gun it is a capital thing for breaking their rigging if it doesn't bring the spars down before the lorcha is within range we are ready with both guns waiting for the order to fire nearer and nearer come the lorchas evidently bent on their own discomfiture for it is quite clear to us they have not the faintest shadow of a chance to cross our bows at the rate we are travelling 
our guns are trained nearly right on the starboard beam when we get the order to fire and the lorchas are about two hundred and fifty yards away fire shouts the captain and we let drive both guns right into the first lorcha when the smoke has cleared away we have the pleasure of seeing the lorcha's mainmast and mainsail fall over her side thus cutting short her career of obstruction for a time while at the same time to add to our special gratification the second lorcha which was coming up close on to the heels of the first not possibly expecting such a sudden termination of her consort's career runs slap into the now dismasted lorcha before she can get out of the way and so brings down her own masts and yards with the suddenness of the crash that has also favourably for us put an end to the career of lorcha the second we fire no more but proceed on our way and soon the lorchas are all out of sight astern at ten o'clock that same night we came to anchor at Wusung, close to our receiving ship the watch is set after the eamont has been securely moored and her sails furled and we retire to sleep and possibly to dream of shipwreck as well as of fighting lorchas chapter twelve shanghai again nealance and i visit ah chung in the city the following morning our treasure is transhipped to the receiving ship there to await the arrival of the next schooner bound down to hong kong which will be a nice plum should she fall into the hands of the pirates in the environs of that port she having to call at all the downward ports collect the treasure from the firm's receiving ships and carry it on to the head office at that great emporium of the chinese trade our treasure having thus been disposed of we weigh our anchor and make the best of our way up the river to shanghai according to special instructions received from on board our receiving ship with a flowing tide and a slashing breeze of a fair wind we are not long in making our way up the river and before the sun has set in the golden west the eamont is again moored with two anchors nearly abreast of h b m consulate at shanghai half of our crew are allowed liberty to go on shore amongst whom are the blue jackets who emancipated themselves out of h m service and who are now going over to mr bob allen's to stay till we are ready for sea again they have been very useful to us in the training of our crew but as they have not yet grown out of recognition by altering their whiskers or otherwise they rather dread the ordeal of a visit from any of their former officers therefore captain gulliver has permitted them to retire for a time to allen's safe retreat the officers of her britannic majesty's ships on the station were very often delighted to come on board these opium clippers and spend a pleasant evening the more so that the table was much better than any of the hotels that were then in existence in that far-off eastern land our japanese ambassadors take their departure for the shore in company with our commander and in about an hour after the captain has left the american consul arrives on board and carries away our rescued child and her saviour to more femininely hospitable quarters on shore after dinner mr nealance and i after providing ourselves with a loaded revolver and some ammunition 
take our departure for the shore also to knock up old acquaintances and have a look round at things in general we have not been on shore ten minutes when i am accosted by a boy whom i recollect to have seen about the house of ah cheng in his pidgin english way of talking he informed me that his master was very wishful to see me and also that he had a pass that would pass me through the city gates what do you say nealance i asked my fellow-officer will you come and see my ancient friend i don't mind if i do replies nealance but will his pass permit two of us you can have the pass i reply and i will get in without one i have a password i got from ward that will let me in anywhere almost except where there are tartars come along then says nealance and let us have a look at this grave conspirator ah shung following our guide we soon arrived at the gates of the city where we had no trouble about being admitted the difficulty might happen in getting out again for they were rather curious people to deal with in those days and had no great liking for us barbarians of the west as we were styled by them in their chronicles of that date passing along through the narrow streets of the city in the wake of our guide we safely arrived at the mansion in which my friend ah shung resided for the present it was not the same mansion in which i had the pleasure of residing with him on a former occasion but one of much greater pretension and seemingly by his surroundings he had made a big jump up in the social scale arrived at the entrance porch of this imposing mansion our guide motions for us to stop while he goes and announces our presence there we have not long to wait before we are admitted into the mansion and ushered into a room on the ground floor where we are scarcely seated when ah shung himself comes bustling into the room robed and decked out in the very pink of chinese fashion how you do missy anderson says ah shung and before i can reply i am taken aback by the rather lugubrious expression that radiates his countenance when he first claps eyes on mr nealance missy nealance says ah shung and in the same breath nealance says woo ah shung and then both burst out into a simultaneous roar of laughter which i am compelled to join before it is concluded as soon as they can speak any way coherently i find out that nealance and ah shung had known each other for several years in fact wu ah shung had once been in the service of the opium company as a comprador but being of an ambitious turn of mind had one day attempted to rise superior to his superiors and for this unpardonable error he had to seek for pastures new whereon to feed his flock when did you leave amoy ah shung asks nealance one year and a half ago says ah shung made it too hot for you i suppose says nealance no no says ah shung me only wantee takee some gun some powdery and shoot a leady way up country tootai say no and come wantee catchee me i jumpy in lorca and comee up ningpo i go up river and sell all my things makee plenty dollars and messy anderson helpy me to get away from ningpo all right then i come here what are you going to be up to next asked nealance i think he go japan perhaps by ambi replies ah shung have he something to drink 
now ask ah shung to which we both reply in the affirmative as we know that he generally has the best of liquor wherever he gets it from a bottle of sparkling moselle is produced of which we are invited to partake as he kindly informs us in real chinese style that his house and all that it contains is entirely at our service after we have pledged each other to our mutual satisfaction ah shung tells us that he has got another gentleman upstairs whom mr nealance knows and asks if we would care to go up and visit him frank careero here in this house says nealance yes says our host he muchy likey stop here better than english hotel all right says nealance we will go up and see him our host accordingly led the way upstairs to the room wherein his other guest was located following ah shung we enter the room and are introduced in proper form to mr careero by our host mr careero receives us very graciously and asks us to be seated he looks pretty hard at nealance and then says i think you and i have met before yes replies nealance we have met in hong kong at the oriental several times ah yes now i recollect says mr careero and adds as if he knew nealance and his profession when did you arrive a little before sundown replies nealance but we lay at wusung all last night did you transship all the treasure asks careero yes all of it replies nealance it don't seem as if they were going to send us down yet a while no i doubt if you will be in hong kong before june or july mr careero informs us do you know where we are going next asks mr nealance well yes replies careero but i would rather tell your captain first however you are going east and i am going with you are you expecting captain gulliver to-night asks mr nealance yes i have been expecting him for some time in fact when you came upstairs i thought it was your captain and some japanese friends of his replies mr careero well in that case says nealance as we too may be de trop we will shift our camp what say you anderson i am quite agreeable anyway i reply and as you say we would be very much de trop but it would have saved me another journey here if the captain had only arrived and he had been satisfied that my ashung was the same ashung as his you may rest satisfied on that point replies both mr careero and nealance he is the same party and a very useful party when you can keep him running straight having drank a parting glass with mr careero we wished him good-night and took our way downstairs where we found our friend ah shung in the act of receiving our captain and another european as well as the two japanese who had come from nishuang with us hello anderson says the captain is this your ah shung yes sir i replied not a bad fellow is he again says the captain addressing me but you must watch him ah eh, shung says the captain now looking at our host and giving him a playful dig in the ribs ah yes me plenty good says ah shung only come too muchy bad fellow no likey me cause me makey some time litty muchy dollar all right ah shung says the captain there are many worse men than you not caught yet then as he turns to nealance and i again he says sorry i can't invite you to the confab upstairs but i dare say i will be telling you all about it to-morrow at lunch for i won't be off to breakfast 
mind you don't disturb any of the peaceable inhabitants of this respectable city as you find your way to the gate for it is scarcely safe for only two of you we are all right says nealance and anderson has a magic password a real open sesame well good-night gentlemen says the captain and be careful for good men are scarce at present good-night having been said to all we took leave of our host Ashung, and found our way out into the narrow lanes of the city after some intricate and perplexing lane navigation we finally found our way to the gate which was quickly opened for our exit when i had whispered a certain magical word into the ear of the official in charge of the guard having got safely outside of the city wall i asked mr nealance if he knew who this frank careero was oh yes i knew him a little replies nealance but i imagine our firm in hong kong have a good deal to do with whatever business he may now have in hand he is a fellow that knows nearly every language under the sun and i suppose he is useful to them in opening up new trade connections and such-like enterprises what countryman is he i asked portuguese very likely native-born that is macao-born you know and if i mistake not he was educated in some of their jesuit colleges very likely for the priesthood but i would think he has found the world better to his liking than the church for people say he lives at a fast rate as if money were no object replies mr nealance what did he mean when he said we were going east i ask japan i suppose replies nealance there has been a lot of talk lately about getting the japs to open their ports to the world at large and that will make a big stir here for it is said to be a very rich country and our people i suppose want to be there to get some of the plums before the outside world get in and snap them up and so adds mr nealance careero will be going over to palaver the japs into allowing us barbarians of the west to settle amongst them and teach them all the benefits accruing from the civilization of the western world it is now nearly midnight so we find a sampan and proceed on board the eamont then after a few minutes talk and a smoke with mr jewel we turn in to our cabins and are soon far away in dreamland the eamont is safely watched over by armed sentries and bob allen himself unless he had the password would meet with a warm reception should he attempt any of his man-stealing enterprises end of section four